0: everybody. Let's do it one more time. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks so much for being here on this holiday weekend. Um, we haven't met. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we're glad to have you with us in person. We're glad to have you with us online today. Um, just a special 4th of July blessing. May you blow something up in the name of Jesus today and have 10 fingers to show tomorrow. So um, but again, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, if you are just joining us, if you've been away for a bit, we are in the midst of a series entitled Big Ten. And uh, in this series, we are exploring together God's Big Ten. Uh, we're exploring together the Ten Commandments. And the idea behind the series is really very simple. We're pu- pushing forward this idea that the, the, that the Ten Commandments are more than just some list of rules. That instead, in the Ten Commandments, we find foundational principles for God's people. Principles that that are meant to set us free to live our best lives while at the same time protect us from the things that would destroy us. And so each week we're just kind of taking one of these commandments. We're unpacking this thing and we're trying to discover these ideas in the midst of that. And today we're going to carry on with this. We're going to get after uh, the fourth commandment. Uh, But before we do so, uh, I want to take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this time with us. And just pray for some of the needs here in our church. So let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, just for the holiday weekend. Thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. And for the way over the centuries we have uh, learned what freedom is about, what freedom costs. And that freedom is meant to be for everyone. Father, thank you for time just to explore your word together today. Open our minds and your hearts to your truth. Father, pray uh, just specifically today for Kim Hand and for her family. And just pray for her and her sister as they remembered her dad at his funeral yesterday. And just pray for them as... Uh, as they're remembering her dad, they're, they're dealing with the loss of Kim's sister's husband just this week unexpectedly, and just the devastation that they are trying to work through in the midst of all of this. Father, we pray for peace, we pray for comfort, for your hand of healing in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, fourth commandment, who knows what number four is? I can't hear you over the treadmill. (laughs) Sabbath, that's right. Take a Sabbath. Actually, number four is, is arguably one of the longest, I think it is the longest commandment. It goes like this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do your work, on it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servants nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For 6 days for in 6 days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, all kinds of stuff going on here. In fact, I was, I was kind of crabbing with Pastor Laura earlier this morning. Um, as we've been working on these messages, every time we get to one of these commandments, we feel like there's way more theology, way more content, way more application than we can get through on a Sunday morning. And this one is no different. And so, uh, because everybody wants to get out of here, something close to on time, and you know, you've got plans, you got barbecues, you got things you're going to blow up. Uh, we're going to limit ourselves to just two questions that we're going to try and work through as it relates to this commandment today. And the questions are simply this, all right? What did the Sabbath mean then? So like when this, the, the, this fourth commandment came, when it was originally given to a group of people, what did it mean then to them? And then what does the Sabbath mean now? For, for you and I, as we're sitting here in this room, as we're watching online, what are we supposed to do with the fourth commandment today? Now, we're going to start with the first one. What did the Sabbath mean then? And, and really to, to to answer that question well, you need to think a little bit about who was the Sabbath first given to? This commandment, who was it first given to? And, and what is some of the history of those people? Because understanding who it was given to and some of the history really helps you understand what it meant then. Now, Sabbath, fourth commandment, like all the other commandments, it was given to the Israelites. Israelites' history begins back in Egypt with, with Joseph and his brothers and all the drama that unfolded them. Uh, eventually, towards the end of the book of Genesis, they all make peace. They live happily ever after, and th- they're there in the land of Egypt, and everybody's just doing fine. Now, the, the book of Exodus opens up and it speaks to Joseph and his family. Generations after he and his brothers have passed. Exodus begins this way. It says, now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So, so as Exodus opens up, you've got the Israelites. They're breeding like rabbits, right? And for the Egyptians, this is, it gets a little disconcerting. The Egyptians are looking around and they're like, for goodness sake, everywhere I look there's an Israelite. I thought I was in Egypt here. And they start to get nervous and they're like, you know, what are we going to do if if like we get attacked and, and the Israelites, you know, like go to the side of our enemies, how are we going to manage this whole thing? And and so in an effort to create a culture of compliance among the Israelites, the Egyptians come up with this solution. We're told that they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. We got another slide after? Thank you. And worked them ruthlessly. And they made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The the Egyptians' plan was was very simple. We're going to make the Israelites run. We we are going to run them into the ground. It's going to... Working for Pharaoh... There are no days off, there, there, there's, there's no vacation time, it's produce. If you wanna eat, you wanna live indoors, if you want it tomorrow, you're gonna produce. The minute you stop being productive, you stop living. With, with, with Pharaoh, it is, you're gonna run seven days a week, you're gonna run four weeks a month, you're gonna run 12 months a year. With Pharaoh, they ran with no end in sight. There was no finish line. It was just run, run, run. Just talking about it makes me thirsty. (laughs) Right? This was the deal. This is how it works. So we'll just put it right, right? There, wait. All right. They're just running, running, running. See, the fourth commandment... It is given to a group of people who were once slaves. It is given to a group of people who knew nothing but running. That's all they did. But then Moses comes. Moses comes and and God delivers the people with the plagues. And and they, they leave Egypt and they go on a road trip, if you would, to the promised land. Now, Here's part of the problem when you take an entire nation of people on a road trip somewhere. You have to figure out how to feed them. Because you see, they, they, they didn't have Chick-fil-A strategically placed between Egypt and, and Canaan. It didn't work that way. And so they're out in the wilderness. They're trying to figure out how we're we going to feed all these people. And God does so miraculously. You read in Exodus how God says sends manna from heaven rains down this bread from heaven onto the earth. That the, Every night the bread rains down. Every morning the Israelites wake up to this bread. And the God, you know, God says to them, hey, here's how the bread, here's how the man is going to work. Here's the deal. Days one through five, you're going to go out and you're going to collect bread. You're going to collect enough bread for one day. Day six, you're going to go out. You're going to collect bread. You're going to collect enough bread for two days. But day seven, God says to them, hey, day seven is going to be different. He says to them, okay, tomorrow, speaking about day seven, he says, tomorrow is to be a Sabbath, is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. On day seven, God says, hey, don't go out and collect, try and collect bread on day seven. He says, listen, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it. On the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. For people who for generations have been running, running, running for seven days a week, you know, four weeks a month, 12 months a year with no finish line in sight, these people who have forever been running, God says to them, why don't you stop? Why don't you rest? Take a break. Now, it's interesting. All of this is happening. What we just read here, this is from Exodus chapter 16. If you remember, Fourth Commandment doesn't come until Exodus chapter 20. So what we have going on here in Exodus chapter 16 is, is God is seeking to reestablish a rhythm in the lives of his people before he ever makes it into a rule of law. And I say that God is seeking to reestablish a rhythm in the lives of his people because this idea of you're gonna work six and take one off, this is, Exodus 16 isn't the first time we see this. You can go back all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible and you find this principle. Like you go back to Genesis 1, That's as beginning as you can get, and you find God, and God is at work. He is at work bringing the created order into existence. He is speaking it into existence. He says it, it happens. And and so for days one through six, God speaks, creation takes place. God speaks, creation takes place. And then you flip over to Genesis chapter two in day seven, and you see something different. Day seven comes, and we read this. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were made complete in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. God works for six and on day seven, he rests. This this is well before what we're seeing happening here in Exodus 16. You go all the way back to Genesis 1. It's work six, rest one. Now, stop and think. Ask yourself, did God need a break? Did, did God need to take a rest? Did the Almighty, self-existent, omnipotent, omnipresent, all wise God need a day off? Probably not. Probably not. Which then begs the question, okay, like, why did he take a day off? Because, I mean, some people even argue, like, God didn't even work that hard. He just spoke and it happened, right? He just said it and it was. Like, so if he didn't need to take a day off, why does he take a day off on day seven? And most theologians would agree that God took a day off because God is seeking to model for us a rhythm that he has woven into the fabric of the created order. God, through his behavior, is trying to demonstrate for us how we were designed to live, how we were designed to interact with the world around us. This principle of you work and then you rest. You run and then you stop. For six days you work, For one day you rest. So God's modeling this whole thing for the creation. God is modeling this whole idea that He has worked into the fabric of the created order. There's a rhythm that is there. Now, it's interesting little bit later on in Exodus. You have what we've been looking at in 16. You have the commandment in, in, in chapter 20. And then a little bit later on in, in Exodus, God has this conversation with the Israelites where he talks to them again about why they should observe the Sabbath. He says this. Speaking of the Sabbath, he says, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God's like, listen, this is the way I did it to show you how you were going to do it. Now, lest you, lest you see this and you go, well, it says God rested and then he was refreshed. Thought said God didn't need to work. If he didn't need to, you know, if he didn't, they said God didn't need to rest. If God didn't need to rest, then why was he refreshed after he did so? Now, actually, this is really cool. The word that we have translated as refreshed here literally means to exhale. To exhale. Again, how did God bring creation into being? He spoke it into existence. What do you do when you speak? You exhale. Again, God is modeling for us how this works. For six days, God Exhaled and then for a day he inhaled. The word refreshed here, I told you it meant exhaled. I lied to you, all right? That's another commandment. James is going to cover that. It means to inhale. It literally means to take a breath. For for six days, God exhales, and then on the seventh day he inhales, he takes a breath. He models for us a principle that is woven into the fabric of the created order. For six days he works, for one day he rests. He shows us this is how you are designed to live. Let me show you what it looks like to interact with the world around you so that you can do this after me. Now, in in Exodus 16, God, again, seeks to reestablish This this rhythm of life with a people who for generations have known nothing but running. They've known nothing but working. They've known nothing but exhaling without ever taking a breath. And when God says to them, hey, take a breath, rest, stop running for a day. Do you know what they do? They keep running, baby. It's right here in the text, right? Right? God says, take a break. And, and and we read in Exodus 16, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord says to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you a Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day no one is to go out. So because here in Exodus 16, God can't get his people to honor the rhythm that he is seeking to reestablish in their lives, in chapter 20, God goes forward and makes it a rule of law in their lives. In 16, he's trying to reestablish this rhythm. In chapter 20, he makes it a rule of law. In chapter 20, he says to them, he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. He's like, hey, I'm commanding you now. On it you shall not do any work. Not you, not your son, not your daughter, not your male servant, not your female servant, not your animal, not a foreigner residing in your land. With number four, God takes a rhythm of life and he makes it, a rule of law he says to his people you have to slow down i am commanding you to rest i am making it a requirement now that you take some time and inhale in the midst of all your exhaling now i would contend there are a whole host of reasons why god gives his people here in exodus 20 this commandment don't have time to talk about all of them We'll talk about just a few. A few that were especially relevant to them and a few that they might even be relevant to you and I today. We'll see. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to why, what do we do with this now. But here's some reasons why he did it then. Like God told his people to rest because he wanted, he wanted to make sure that his people would learn to live in faith rather than in fear. Wants them to learn to live in faith rather than in fear. See, some of those folks, they went out on day seven anyway because they were, they, were, they were afraid. If I don't go out on day seven, like God isn't going to take care of me. I can't trust God to feed me on day seven unless I go out here myself. See, there were people th- there, they were going to keep running. W- whether God told them the rest or not, they were going to keep running because they were afraid that it wouldn't happen. And you can fill in the blank for it. All right? But they're they're afraid if, if I don't keep running, it won't get done. I have got to make it happen myself. With number four, with this with the Sabbath, God's saying, Hey, I want you to have faith that if it's gonna happen, I'll give you enough time in day days one through six to make it happen. I want you to have enough faith that if it's going to happen and you can't get it done yourself, that I'll get it done myself. I want you to have enough faith to to, to believe that if it doesn't happen, maybe I wasn't worried about it happening. I want you to have enough faith to to realize that you can get more done on days one through six with me than you can by yourself in seven days all alone. With With this fourth commandment, he's trying to move his people from fear to faith. Not only so, but I think with the fourth commandment, God is trying to get us, he's trying to get his people to learn how to find their sense of identity and worth in him. See, some of those Israelites, they went out on day seven because their sense of identity and their sense of worth was found in their productivity. And not to go out there on day seven and be productive threatened their sense of value and worth. With the Sabbath, God is saying, hey, I want you to find your sense of identity and worth in something different than your productivity. I I want you to know that you're valuable. Regardless of the grades that you get, regardless of the awards you receive, regardless of the salary that you command, regardless of how high you climb on the corporate ladder, you are valuable and your value is found in who you are in me. Simply by the virtue of the fact that you are made in my image, that gives you all the value in the world no matter what you produce. And God's saying, hey, I I want you to find your sense of identity and who you are in relationship to me rather than in what you do. When somebody stops for a day and they rest, they rest in those truths. When somebody takes a day off, they actively fight against the lie that tells them, you are what you produce. I suspect God wanted his people to rest, because God understood living in a way that violates how we were designed will destroy us. Again, God, he has woven into the fabric of the created order this rhythm of life. He has designed us to both work and to rest. And when I refuse to do that, it catches up with me. For example, in his book, "The uh, Take a Day Off, Robert Morse. He refers to a report that the government of Japan submitted or had submitted to them. It was a report that centered around a man who they called Mr. A. And Mr. A worked in a Japanese uh, snack food processing plant. Worked there for years and worked crazy hours. Like he would work 110 hours a week, week after week after week after week. In order to get 110, you basically need to work Um, 16-hour days, seven days a week. Mr. A did this year after year after year. Now, his company submitted a report to the Japanese government because they found him dead at his workstation. Literally had a heart attack at work and dropped dead there. Now, what was most disturbing about the report is he was 34 years old. The Japanese today have a word for this. It, it's happened frequently enough in their country, they have a word, it's karoshi. And not only do the Japanese have a word for this, but so do the Chinese and the South Koreans. And they had to create a word for this because increasingly in their culture, they saw this phenomenon where they're finding people who are dead at work. People who have worked these crazy schedules, high stress jobs, no rest, no break, and so they, they they're like, we need a word now in our culture that describes the phenomenon of working yourself to death. In Japan, it's Kiroshi. Now we're not there here in the States yet, but in the last year and a half, we moved the needle. You see, in the last year and a half in the midst of COVID, we watched the number of hours that people work increase dramatically. Because all kinds of us, we were working from home. And and the line between where does my, my home life and my work life get divided, working at home, that got all blurred. The demands that our supervisors put on us, they just went up. And so the number of hours that we worked increased dramatically. And then the last year and a half, We saw substance abuse and domestic violence and depression and anxiety all skyrocket. We saw the number of suicides increase dramatically. It's not a coincidence. We began to live more fully in a way we were never designed to live, and we began to feel the impact of that in our lives and in our relationships. We don't we, we haven't reached Kuroshi yet but we move the needle in that direction With the fourth commandment God's trying to give us a gift He's trying to give his people the gift of rest Now question is is it time to give Peter that gift You can stop. (laughs) Give Peter a hand. (laughs) So, that's what the Sabbath meant then. Question then becomes, okay, what does the Sabbath mean now? That's what it meant to God's people, the Israelites, when they first received that commandment. What are we supposed to do with this thing now today as God's people? And to to really answer that question well, you need to to work through a theological consideration. And the theological consideration is this, right? As a New Testament believer, as a New Testament Christian, how am I supposed to interact with the Old Testament Mosaic Law? Is somebody who's following Jesus as a Christian today... What do I do with the Old Testament and all the do's and don'ts that I read in this law that starts with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and stretches on through the end of the book of Deuteronomy? Like, am, am I bound to obey all these things or am I, am I free from these things? And, and maybe even more importantly, how do I answer that question with a degree of logic and consistency? Because Christians all the time will be like, hey, I can't kill my enemies. It says right there, in the, you know, thou shalt not kill. But then those same Christians will pound ham sandwiches like they're going out of style, right? And they're like, well, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not bound to this whole don't eat pork thing. Like, how do we arrive at both of those conclusions and do so with a degree of consistency and logic and faithfulness to what the Bible teaches? Well, here's, here's how I would encourage you to navigate this. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant, It is a document that is describing how a relationship was meant to work between God and the nation of Israel. It is the old covenant. It is their covenant. If I'm a Christian, it's not my covenant. If I'm a Christian, I am under a new covenant. I'm not bound to the Old Testament laws. I'm required to live into the directives that are found in the New Testament. Now, Studying the Old Testament law, it can be beneficial, it can be helpful. There's all kinds of wisdom to be derived from the law. But again, it's their covenant, it is the old covenant, it's not my covenant, I am bound to a new covenant. Now if you go, where does the Bible say that? The New Testament says it all over the place. We don't have time to go through all the passages in the New Testament that talk about this idea. If, If you're like, hey, I want to nerd out on this idea, email me. Pastor Mike Rice at 4fcc.org. I'll send you a paper. You can nerd out on the theology and just have a wonderful time with it. Let me read just one passage that captures some of what we're talking about here. This is from the book of Hebrews. The writer says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins Committed under the first covenant. The writer's like, hey, there's a new covenant now. Jesus died to set you free from that old one. See, the the, the principle is, is really very simple. The new covenant of life in Christ releases Christ followers from the directives of the Old Testament law if I'm a follower of Jesus, I am released from the Old Testament law unless unless one of those directives gets repeated again in the New Testament. So, so this, is, this is why I can pound bacon, right? Because the Old Testament says, hey, no pork. The New Testament does not repeat that. But this is why I cannot pound my enemies because the New Testament is like, hey, you need to love your enemies. You know, in fact, Command commandment will say, don't commit murder. Jesus turns the heat up on that. Not only does he tell me not to commit murder, he's like, if you hate somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. There are 10 commandments, right? Nine out of the 10 get repeated in the New Testament. The one that doesn't is the Sabbath. The one that doesn't is the Sabbath. Nine out of the ten are explicitly repeated again for us. Sometimes Jesus, not only does he repeat them, he ups the ante. The one that doesn't get repeated is the Sabbath. And here's what that means. It means that I am not morally obligated to take Saturdays off. See, again, in the Old Testament, you had all these different kinds of laws. You've got these ceremonial laws. You've got these civil laws. You've got these moral laws. The, the, the ceremonial and the civil laws, they don't get repeated again in the New Testament. The moral laws do. New Testament doesn't say, hey, you got to take a Sabbath. So I am not morally obligated to take Saturdays off. However, the principle remains the same. There is a rhythm of life that God has woven into the fabric of the created order that I can't escape. It, it, it came before the commandment in Exodus 20. It, became, it came before God's reminding his people about it in Exodus 16. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. It is part of the divine design. It is inescapable in life. And the principle is very simple. You, you're going to take a break or life's going to break you down. You're going to stop running or life is going to run you into the ground. It's not a a moral thing, but it's a a thing, you and I, that we cannot escape. God has said, hey, I've designed you this way. You, You cannot escape this any more than you can escape yourself. Take a breath. Slow down. Stop running. Take a break. I made you to work six and rest one. So that's what it means to us now. So with the time that we have left, I want to talk to you a little bit about what, what this might look like in our lives today. It's, and it's kind of funny, I was talking to a friend of mine about this message and where I was going to go and what I was going to do and my friend looked at me and they're like, what are you going to tell people? Because you're not very good at this. <laughs> I was like, why don't you stop talking to me, right? Um, but th- th- and here's the, to some degree my friend was wrong and to some degree my friend was right. Because there's some parts of what it means to do Sabbath that I do do well, and there's some parts of what it means to do Sabbath that I am working to get better at. I am preaching to me as much as I am anybody else today, all right? So I, what I want to do is just share with you, here's why I do Sabbath well, and here's why I can grow in doing Sabbath better. And, and in doing so, it kind of outlines for us what it looks like to do Sabbath ourselves. So here's the first part. For me, for me Sabbath happens on, on, on Friday, because, right? again, I'm not morally bound to take Saturdays off. That was the Old Testament law. You, you have the New Testament where the church decided to do Sabbath on Sunday as a way of honoring the resurrection. Right, But I'm telling you right now, what I do on Sundays is work for me. I'm usually up at 6 on Sunday, getting ready for church, going over the message, taking care of the last bit of emails. I'm in here. If you don't think this is work, see me. We'll get you set up to speak on a Sunday, Right. I guarantee by the end of the day, you will be tired, all right? So taking Sundays off, this does not work for me. So I take Fridays off, that's my Sabbath. Now, what I try and do on Fridays is what I, try, I try not to do on Fridays what I do the rest of the week. That's the first part of Sabbath. It is not doing for you on that day what is work for you the rest of the week. So, So for me on Fridays, it's, you know, like it's, no, no meetings, no email, no counseling, no planning, no sermon prep, no leading, no shepherding, no phone calls, no church. Six days a week, 60 hours plus, my life is full of this stuff. On Friday, I turn it off. In fact, if you go to church here, I won't even hang out with you on Friday. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just know if I hang out with you on Friday, the likelihood of some of this creeping in, it just happens. I've done this long enough to know. I just, I got to turn it off. If I don't stop running, life is going to run me into the ground. So six days, it's full of that. Friday, I turn it all off. Now, are there Fridays where I have to do some of this stuff? Sure. Emergencies happen. And here's the deal, if you have an emergency, feel free to reach out to me on a Friday, feel free to reach out to any of our staff on a Friday, if you have an emergency. And here's the deal, if you're gonna reach out to me, don't call me, I'm not gonna answer my phone. Don't leave me a voicemail, I won't check it till Saturday. Don't email me, I work really hard not to look at my emails. If you have an emergency on Friday, text me. I periodically check my text messages on Fridays in case there's an emergency. And if there's an emergency, I'll respond. But let's be clear, all right? An emergency is something that you, you, you shouldn't have been able to reasonably see coming. An emergency is something that you didn't have anything to do with, right? So, like, if your loved one dies on a Friday, that's an emergency, unless you did them in and then that's homicide, but there's another thing, right? <laughs> like, when you're, like, I did, a, I did a funeral Friday. That constitutes an emergency, right? They they, they didn't have anything to do with it. They couldn't see it coming. That's an emergency. If you are negligent, if you are foolish, and your negligence and your foolishness are ongoing, and then they blow up in your face on a Friday, call me and leave me a voicemail. We'll talk Saturday because that's not an emergency. All right? So Fridays, I I try and turn this whole thing off. And not do what for me is work. And what for me is work might be different for, for you than what, you know, what feels like work is different for different people. But for me, this is what's worked for me. Friday is to turn it all off. All right, so that's the part that I do well. The part that I'm working to do better at is the filling part. Six days a week, the bucket is being emptied. I'm pouring it out. One day a week, I'm trying to fill that thing back up. And so I try and do things that fill me on Friday. So like on Friday, I'll go for a bike ride or a hike or a swim or a run. And some of you are like, well, that sounds like work. It may feel like work for you, but it's, it's radically different than what I'm doing all week long. And so for me, it, it fills me up. On Friday, I try and spend time with my wife or my kids. On Friday, I try and read a book that I cannot use for church. If it's been crazy all week, on Friday, I try and take a nap. And the older I get, the more glorious a nap has become, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So on on Friday, I I try and go out to eat. I like to go out to eat. It's just a fun thing to me. On Friday, I try and do things that fill me. Sabbath is really very simple. I'm going to take a day, and I'm not going to do the stuff that I do all week long as work. And I'm going to try and do some things that fill me back up again. Some of that I'm really good at. Some of that I need to get better at fourth commandment it's not a law that we have to keep but it is a principle woven into the fabric of the created order that we cannot escape god's saying hey i made you to both work and to rest now are there are, are there seasons of life where that's tricky yeah like if you're a young mom with young kids how you take 24 hours away from what you do all week long, that's impossible. You have to be creative for a season, right? and, and if you keep having kids, you repeat, offend, and the, the, you stretch that season out, but it's, it's how it works. Season or not, God designed us to breathe in and breathe out, to run and to rest, to work and to stop. And if, while, we were, while we were talking about this, and you're like, why are you being so mean to Peter? Why, why, why are you making that guy just run, run, run? If you're violating this principle that God designed you to live by, that's the very question God is asking of you. And so as we pray, I just want, I want to invite you to think about, hey, am I living into this rhythm that God has made me for? And what do I need to do? to live the way that God designed me, the way that God designed me so he could set me free for something better and protect me from what would destroy me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of rest. In our world today, it's in vogue to be running ourselves into the ground, be able to complain about how hard we're working and how much rest we've missed and how few breaks we take. God, I just pray for grace for me, for those in this room, for those who are watching online, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you about how we're doing at living into this rhythm that you've made for us. Help us please just to slow down and take a breath. I just I pray especially for the folks who are single parenting this, who got young kids where this is a whole lot trickier in that season. Help us please just to fully grab hold of this gift of life you've made available to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.